Welcome to the Ankler Podcast. This is Sean McNulty from the Wake Up Newsletter here at the Ankler on the afternoon of Thursday, January 18th here in New York City. I'm joined by Elaine Lowe in Los Angeles as Mr. Rushfield is, I think, stuck in a snowbank somewhere in Park City, Utah, but he and Peter Kiefer are at Sundance and we're going to check in with them later on. Elaine, you, Peter, Nicole, and ESG all had pieces this week as part of the Anklers look at the representation business in Hollywood, from managers to mailrooms to deal-making and business affairs. We're going to dive into all that as well. And Elaine, we now have an email address. Can you feel the excitement? We do. Podcasts at theankler.com. Is that what it is? Yes, I feel like I'm back in my junior year of college getting the excitement of getting an email address. <laughs> but yes, you can contact us. That is podcasts, plural, at theankler.com. So you, dear Ankler podcast listeners, can now reach us. We're going to look to hopefully introduce a kind of 60-minute uh, style, but far more interesting listener mail section at some point on occasion. So fire away questions for the group or individually. If you have any burning Mission Impossible questions for Elaine, she's here for it, I'm sure. I'll tell you the best one. I'll rank them for you. Well, you told us the best one, but yeah, yeah mm-hmm. we can get your one through seven. So if you want Elaine's full one through seven of, <laughs> of the Tom Cruise oeuvre in Mission Impossible. She, she, yeah, it's a whole podcast. Yes. All requests for a Mission Impossible podcast, you can send that to the email address as well. But again, any questions you'd like us to talk about here in the podcast, any feedback, or just to uh, say hello is always nice as well. Uh, again, that's podcasts at theankler.com. All right, Elaine, bit of a shorter week. We had Martin Luther King Day on Monday. Elaine, did you watch the Emmys and Critics' Choice Awards to complete your January awards punch card or what? I watched the entirety of the Emmys. I did not watch Critics' Choice. Did you? Mm. No, I watched on Instagram as all my journalists and the critics' friends were posting videos <laughs> and photos like behind famous people. <laughs> So you saw the backs of famous people heads, heads in 30 second increments? Not with them. Just be like, they're they're right here. And I'm like, yeah, like, there's, there's a lot. That room was pretty hot, though. That, that, a lot of people showed up for that, I will say. Yeah. I mean, you know, the Emmys, I feel like were really fun this year. More fun than the Golden Globes, which just aired about a week ago, which you kind of expect to be the looser ceremony, right? And actually, I feel like, you know, like everybody's getting back to work. Everybody's getting back into it after this really awful year last year. And people just looked like they were having a good time. And, you know, Anthony Anderson, very reliable host. Uh, You had homages to all of these TV shows of years past. You had the Cheers reunion and Martin and Ally McBeal and Grays and all of these shows reuniting their cast. It felt like it was pretty effective. I don't know. What about you, Sean? Uh, The NFL game is great on ABC. (laughs) So I will... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> sorry, sorry, Emmys. I, uh, I, you know, I, I told him, you know, that I was upfront beforehand. I will not be watching the show. And you couldn't, you know, as it, as I wrote in the wake up, it couldn't be more emblematic that you could not stream the show. It was only, you know, it was on Fox, so there's no streaming option outside of the bundle. So I would have, I would have done happily done. As I did with the Globes, a two-screen experience on my laptop and my TV. You have a football on the TV, and and but I couldn't do it, so I had, had to make my choices. And uh, uh, modern good TV game. consumption. Yeah, it was a good game, so I couldn't turn the, the NFL off. I was watching it from a hotel room in Miami, oh. waiting for the Nat B conference to start the next day. Right, so you had some so time I was in a your hands. Truly for, captive viewer. For yeah, that. you were exactly. Yeah, you watched the whole show. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. I did see some <laughs> clips, and your uh, Anthony uh, did a great, really great job, and. 
really seem to bring good spirit, you know, to that room. It's not, as we've, as we've seen, not the easiest job sometimes. Oh, no. Uh, and that kind of a room. So, yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, nobody watched it. So, I think. Speaking of which, let's talk about the ratings and who won. The, yes. Well, you know, so the the Emmys did hit a new low, which I think is the, the name of the award we have to start giving out because you win all the time. So, uh, <laughs> you, you were, I think you were, you were the closest in the, in the predictions 4. last 1, week. 4.1. And what was it? 4.3 million? 4.3. So, you won by. Prices right rules and the closest to the pin rule, which we steadfastly hold to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, I was over at five and not even close. So yeah, that's four point three million down from five point nine million. That was in uh, September of twenty twenty two. Of course. So I suppose we shouldn't be celebrating that they actually hit. I mean, it's not. Yeah, it's not a celebratory. No, but I mean, it's it's not great for the business. It was again up against a a big NFL playoff game on on ABC and ESPN that got around thirty million viewers, and also the Iowa caucuses were also Mm. uh, on Monday on cable news. It was a busy night. It was a busy night, and it was a Monday, not a Sunday. So again, you're you know going to have a little bit lower viewership in general. But America did not did not seem to really care too much about this, and the Critics' Choice was uh, a million. Do you want the you want the positive spin on the Critics' Choice Awards, Elaine? Do you want, you want what was the, up yeah. what tenfold? <laughs> uh, up fourteen percent, Elaine, in oh, ratings okay. on on the CW for the Critics' Choice Awards went from uh, nine hundred thousand to a million. So the, there's your there's your big bump. Over on, w- on way to the, look uh, at the sunny side of this, John. Uh, listen, you got to find the Elaine. It's a new year. We're trying to f- be positive here on the Ankler podcast. So <laughs> I will say, Elaine, a fun fact CBS aired a rerun of the NFL's AFC championship game last year on Sunday at one o'clock because their one o'clock game got pushed to Monday because the Buffalo was in a blizzard. That rerun beat the Emmys <laughs> on no. Sunday. Yeah, sadly. So I that got 4.5 4. million people watched a rerun of a football game versus 4.3 million for the Emmys. So, uh, Wild. yeah, sorry to put that out there. The Emmys can't just catch a break. But, you know, listen, there's a whole new show in eight months, Elaine. So maybe oh. America will, will return when the show returns to its proper perch in September. All right. See you soon, Emmys. Yeah, exactly. But uh, have fun explaining why there are two shows in one year to America. <laughs> Succession can't win again, though, right? That's that's now. Oh, my, my r- goodness. There, how many shows out on TV last year? Or I guess really from June 2022 to May 2023, because that was the eligibility period, which is why, if anything, any of these nominees sounded like they had happened a long time ago. That's why, because of yeah, the four-month delay the, from the Yeah, the big the Elton strikes. John concert from November 2022 was, <laughs> was the Which got order. him his EGOT. Which got on the Z-God. That was also the infamous last day of Bob Chapek as the head of the Disney Corporation, where that famously all went down. But yeah, how many shows on TV? And it was what? The Bear, Beef, and Succession that totally dominated. 600 shows, and we only need three LA. We've been wasting all this energy and time, so, you know. <laughs> Famous laugh-out-loud comedy, The Bear, winning in that category. Right, The Bear, the comedy. We all can't uh, watch enough in reruns, but yeah. Quality shows, good you know, good winners, get some good speeches out there, but we'll see what fresh blood arrives. Well, The Bear probably will still be nominated in the, in the next the next show, but uh, Succession, the drama category, will have some new winners up there. So, so you, uh, you mentioned before, so let's dive into you were at Nappy this week in Miami. Mm-hmm. So for folks who don't know, let's, let's explain what, what Nappy is here. Uh, oh, you're testing my acronyms here. Well, you don't have to test the acronym. You can just say what it National is. National Association no, no. of TV Producers and Executives. No, I had it. Nice. I knew it. <laughs> nice. Cool yeah, stuff. over in Miami this year, it was my first time going to a Nappy Global out there and moderated a panel with executives from Lionsgate and A&E and Amazon and Fremantle and AMC Networks. And it was a great group 
really more optimistic of a view on 2024 than I think many of us would have given it three or four months ago. But I mean, basically, the headline is (laughs) expect less TV, but hopefully better TV as we are all trying to endure this period of contraction. And I mean, that's just kind of the going wisdom these days, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's been written about several times, certainly, even in, in the Ankler, I'm sure. But trying to find the silver lining, obviously, that, hey, the quality is going up. It's, you know, which infers that it was bad before. But, you know, we're not talking about that part of it. Uh, so uh, Napoli, just for background, is a, is a convention where people come to sell series, Elaine, right? Yes, it's for sellers. And it's really a, an interesting place to meet new folks who work in the industry and get a sense of what the buying appetites are. And, uh, you know, top of 2024, people are being judicious, but optimistic. So, you know, we'll we'll see what happens and we'll see how this year goes for folks. Yeah. Now, we've, you know, talked about, a bit about before, but there's, you know, uh, even today, HBO or Max canceled, rap shit, and Schmigadoon is over, you know, and I spoke about last week how much of the fall schedule is going to be. A lot of shows are ending in May this year. So it does feel that new time of new renewal for series and some new new ideas out there. So Yeah, I mean, on the unscripted side, I think it's so interesting when you see the scripted shows, you know, they're all, they go away after two or three seasons, right? But on the panel, A&E Networks' head of programming genres over there, Elaine Fontaine Bryant, had said, you know, like what works for us is just long seasons of things. And it's just like an un- mm. in the unscripted world, that's what you want. You want long seasons so you can just go and watch your your many reruns of, you know, Dance Moms or, or whatever it is that you're looking for out there. So in the unscripted world, at least people still want long seasons. Yeah. Although, you know, I mean, the, I mean, again, early conventionalism, you had a piece about this earlier at the top of the year, what, you know, what, what people are pitching and things like that. And, you know, limited series were not hot. Nope. That was not a, so I think they were looking for, again, it's not the, you know, call it the suits factor, call it whatever you want to call it, but, you know, just this, this kind of return to that kind of television. And, and you know, we see every week on the, on the Nielsen charts, what shows are up there. It's these shows that have 22 episodes, like people still love watching these shows, but they're just not making as many anymore. But like, I think the thinking is now maybe we should, Elaine. Yeah. And people want escapist content. They want comfort viewing And I think when you watch the Emmys, that was kind of what underscored the themes, right? When you have like a reunion of Martin, when you have a reunion of Cheers and it's like, yeah, people people want the comfort viewing. So that's that's kind of the theme. It's like people want comfort viewing. People want escapist fare. People don't want, at least when it comes to buyers, they don't want limited series with enormous budgets and A-list stars anymore. Yeah, which was for years, you know. Suits is what it is. (laughs) Suits is in, exactly. (laughs) And those, yeah, then they were presenting at the Golden Globes. Yeah, we'll see what transpires. I think there'll be a lot of eyes and maybe more than usual on the upfronts this year. See, you know, Warner Brothers just set their date for, I think, May 15th. The 15th, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see what those schedules look like. There's a lot of changes this fall that were strike-induced, certainly, as to what people learned. Will ABC keep Monday Night Football on Mondays? That eliminates a night. Things like, you know, things along those lines that we'll see if, what, if any major structural changes will come into play, mm-hmm. at least in broadcast TV and uh, cable, certainly a different story. So, yeah, well, and how was Miami? Was my, I, I've been, you know, I think I'm doing so. You got Peter and uh, Richard at Sundance. You got you in Miami. I'm sitting here in New York and it's freezing. I, I'm doing something wrong here, but the Ankler travel budget, <laughs> I think, is clearly <laughs> I'm missing out. 
Well, while the St. Bernards are out looking for Richard and Peter right now, um, I (laughs) did not actually get to see much of Miami. You know how it is, business travel. I I walked into the hotel Monday evening and then walked out of the hotel Wednesday and hopped on a plane back. But from what I could see out the window, Miami is a beautiful city, (laughs) Sean. Highly recommend it if you have a chance, yeah. Oh, well, that is what it is. But we have a bit of uh, a news as well here. Uh, you are, uh, well, I would say becoming a columnist, whatever we're calling this. You are launching a column. I'm going to I'm gonna say it. I know you're uh, still working. A newsletter, Sean. A newsletter. You're a, launching a newsletter. A, as a hard news reporter, the word column. Come Monday, Elaine. <laughs> yes, it's, it's voicey reporting. It's analysis and reporting. It's a newsletter. All right. I told you not, I told you not to say that out loud. That's not, yeah, yeah that's, that's not a good term. <laughs> Make it happen, Sean. No one likes it. It's Fetch of uh, descriptions of writing, I'm telling you. <laughs> anyway, yes, you have a new column launching on Monday, so tell the folks about it here. Yeah, so it's called Series Business. Series Business. The, the pun works better when you read it, but you know. It does. I've been trying to say it out loud, and I'm not going to let her. I'm going to let Elaine say it first. So there you yeah, go. Yeah, Series Business is a real focus on the TV industry. I think it'll be a great compliment to the wake up that you do every morning and ESG's very wonky analyses. You know, just the TV buying and selling market and like some of the greater trends happening in the marketplace. And Hopefully some explainers, too. Like I've been telling readers if there's any if there are any burning questions that you have, if you want to know what does it mean when a streamer does a tax write off when they take some shows out of their library? What does it mean when, you know, I I mean, I think during the strike last year, one of the things that worked was when people were like, what's a neutral gate? And it's like these sort of nitty gritty questions around the industry, as well as just some larger features and news pieces. But it'll be every Monday, uh, you know, hopefully anchored by one interesting story and then some other tidbits from our other reporters like Peter and Claire. All right, great. Awesome. Okay, so that's coming uh, this Monday, uh, whatever it is. January January 22nd is our first one. And if you have any tips, any feedback, I'm at Elaine at theankler.com, particularly the tips and the feedback, (laughs) if it's positive. (laughs) (laughs) Elaine, the feedback. You got the podcast feedback and and now column feedback. So you got a lot of incoming that way. So have fun with that. But yes, look forward to that in your inbox on Monday. Okay, up next. Find out what the Ankler team learned when taking a look at the state of the talent management and representation business here in Hollywood in early 2024, but we'll be right back in a moment. All right. So, Elaine, what's it been like living in the world of Hollywood talent managers? Did you uh, have to give them 15 percent of your paycheck for doing the story or uh, how did this all work out? What's going on? Oh, we had a great package run this week on managers and mainly managers, but also some interesting notes about agents and the sort of path to becoming a representative these days. But, uh, you know, a great package of managers, including folks like Scott Greenberg, Aline Kashishian, who reps Jennifer Aniston and Selena Gomez, Constance Schwartz-Marini, who reps Deion Sanders and Michael Strahan, just focusing on some managers who are doing really interesting, innovative things right now. I had a great conversation with Jermaine Johnson, who, of course, reps Court Jefferson of American Mm -hmm. Fiction, very buzzy title right now, trying to get a sense of like, what does it mean to be a manager in this day and age? What's the impulse for becoming one? And I think there's a lot of great information in there for both folks who are interested in entering the representation business, as well as anybody who's just had a curiosity about the people who help manage things behind the scenes. 
Yeah, that was, that was the first piece uh, that came out earlier in, in the week. And then a new one actually just dropped today, the latest from Entertainment Strategy Guy, who took a look at why talent deals take so long to close these days and a few ideas on how the process can be improved over uh, with business affairs departments and some interesting anecdotes from deal making of past, which is really interesting to think about. So I recommend to go check that out over at theankler.com. And Elaine, you had a look inside the world of Hollywood mailrooms famously where future representation talent or executives are, were born. But uh, what did you find? I mean, that, the mailroom, it's a storied place where it's so many infamous. legends have gotten their start, right? Like from, mm. from David Geffen to Brian, Brian Lord to- Brian and Ari, you know, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, everybody. All the majors like Jeremy Zimmer and, and Ari Emanuel mm. all got started there. And so I took a look at what it meant to be part of a mailroom back then, you know, read The Mailroom by David Renson. That's great. And, yeah. uh, you know, of course, I think the the pop cultural reference that most people outside of the industry have is, of course, Entourage. Of course. And so spoke to a lot of 30 and 40 something agents now who kind of were the, the Entourage generation, so to speak, who grew up on it who had that as their reference point for entering the industry, got to hear whether their stories were quite the same as watching Ari Gold rip Lloyd over some mistake or something, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is now, was that 20 years old, that show? Was that right? Oh my that, goodness, uh, is it really? Well, I, I know, I, I thought you you mentioned the year in your piece and I was like, it's a. I mean, it's mid-2000s, it's mid so it's, yeah, it's definitely up there. You're right. Oh my God. Cryptkeeper. <laughs> Everybody, Elaine's having a moment. We're going to take a little pause. Uh, <laughs> moment for my early midlife crisis. Yeah. Um, but, well, no, but, so you mentioned agents who were about say, yeah, yeah. 40. So there were, that was yeah, about that's true. coming up in the industry. They, that, they were all coming out of college and sort of had the mailroom and entourage as their two major cultural touchstones coming into yeah. the business and wanted to learn how it's changed and how it's, you know, what their experience was like. And so I heard a lot of stories of having to guide your boomer boss while they're trying to figure out how to get around Beverly Hills and you're reading out MapQuest, printed out MapQuest directions <laughs> to them MapQuest, yeah. and trying not to get yelled at. And the thing is, it's a it's a path that's really evolved. Like the mailroom is still the place to start if you are going to become an agent. Like I think at UTA, it's something like 80% of current agents came up through the mailroom through oh, that wow. trainee program there. But sometimes you get people who come from, you know, whatever, development or law or some other places, but it's not as, it's still, you know, not that common. Yeah. So yeah, uh, check it out if you want some stories from days of yore and also just uh, some insight into what that career trajectory looks like. Yeah. But you also had some, you know, updated, uh, you know, information today and, you know, people say the kids don't want to work in Hollywood anymore, but the competition is still pretty crazy for these roles, right? It's something like 4,000 applications a month that UTA gets in and yeah, they can only nuts. fill 200 spots a year. So yes, like I think there's there have been conversations in the past over, you know, like who still wants to be an agent, whether being a manager is a more appealing path. But gosh, the major agencies still have kids knocking down their door, college grads is, who who want to come up in the system. Your insight into that was I was actually I was surprised actually that that was that was the case. So uh, and also the people who started agencies in these roles you know, really move on to other things where you know you mentioned UTA hires a lot in house, but most people who work in these royal you know who start in the mailroom don't necessarily become agents anymore. Yeah, like one in five, I think at UTA at least, who wind up becoming long-term managers because some people just discover that that's not the life that they want or they would rather become producers or writers. Right. My first role was on a desk for a manager, yeah. 
right. Like, I'm sure we've all had friends who, you know, have worked in mailrooms before and then we're like, oh, this is cool, but it's not for me. But the ones who stay, stay for a long time. Like the folks who I've spoken to who are, you know, in their late 30s or early 40s now who are agents have been at the same agency, a lot of them for 10, 12, 14 years. So if if that's the life for you, you know, you commit. Yeah. And it is like classes, you know, like you just people you come up with in the business. And it is that mm-hmm. even if you're all not staying at William Morris or, or whatever it might be, right. you know, like you just have whatever you go in the business, you kind of have that, you know, again, maybe not hazing a connection to, you know, it's a kind of that collegiate kind of thing, but in a professional yeah. setting, but you all have that memory and, you know, wherever people go in the business, there is that kind of bond that, that, that does form. It sounded like with some, with some people, right? Yeah. And one agent I spoke to didn't have any major horror stories, but, right, you know, mostly right, remembered be, yeah. it fondly, you know, delivering packages to Regis Philbin or, <laughs> you know, memorably seeing somebody drop an important check down an elevator oh, shaft. I know that, oh which God, is yeah, that uh, a, if that's not yeah. trauma bonding, I don't know what <laughs> is, John. <laughs> <laughs> that one gave me a little like, oh, my God, like, put me on edge. I was like, oh, my God. Um, but yeah, anyway, a lot of great stories uh, from past and present there and just the lay of the land to check out uh, over at the Ankler.com and check out all of those pieces. Peter has one coming out as well, which we'll get to uh, in the next segment. But Elaine, you know, normally this is where I do a little box office check-in, but the box office is in a timeout, I think, is <laughs> for the rest of the month. So, you know, it, it knows why. It knows why. <laughs> Neon has the Ava DuVernay Origin Pick Origin coming out, although I'm not sure how many screens that one's on, but that's about it. So is Mean Girls on your agenda this weekend, finally, Elaine, or not not to be? It is on my list. Maybe not for oh. this weekend, but I'm definitely very excited. I mean, I've only seen the movie about 20 times, so. That's probably lowballing it, but okay, that's fine. (laughs) It probably is. Anyway, we're going to move on to somewhere there are definitely movies. Uh, Sundance, we'll check in with Richard and Peter up in the mountains of Utah right after a quick break. All right, we are back here with Peter Kiefer and Mr. Sundance himself, Richard Rushfield, and the snowy environs of Park City, Utah, day one of the Sundance Film Festival. Peter, first up, who got the top bunk in the condo? We got to know. I got the uh, kids' room. Um, <laughs> I defer to Richard on this one. He's been coming here for a, a lot longer. This is my first go around, so I opted for the, it's the kitty room, but I slept fine. All right. Well, you're the rookie. I mean, this kind of makes sense. Traveling with the kids all the time yourself, you're probably used to it. So you're feeling at home here, Peter. It's just the first form of hazing that I'm expecting from Richard throughout the next three days. <laughs> so this is your first time at Sundance, right, right, Peter? It is. I've done some other film festivals when I was working in a different capacity over in Europe. But um, yeah, first time at Sundance. I'm excited. So far, so good. So far, Give so us good the weather report, in. Peter. The weather report. Okay. Oh, man. I, I got in yesterday. I was waiting for Richard to pick me up and it was dumping snow and I was getting very nervous about our drive up here. But the gods were kind to us when it stopped snowing about a half an hour before Richard got in and we had a pretty uh, smooth sailing up here. So it's it's beautiful. It's just cold, wet and slippery. There you go. That's the Sundance motto, I think, the new tagline. So, Richard, you were at the opening ceremony of Sundance this morning <laughs> or what? what are they? The, opening, uh, the opening press conference hosted by Jason Blum himself. Uh, oh, my. Okay. Uh-huh. moderating the press conference. So some star power there and the new director, head programmer, Eugene Hernandez. So uh, a lot of excitement. And then after the press conference to get back here for the podcast, Peter and I decided to take a shortcut through a snowdrift because snow is solid and you can just walk on it, right? So 
uh, yes, exactly. Yeah, Peter, is, yeah, it's a bad sign for you, Peter. This is like the first moment of following Richard around for, for uh, three or four days here. I don't know. <laughs> it's my ploy to, to leave Richard behind here. Oh, is that, uh, was that? Oh, yeah. boy. Yeah. Drag yeah. him into a... Peter shouldn't have watched uh, The Shining on the way out there. I don't know. Be careful mm-hmm. about this, Richard. But it, it I, I got to say, it, it, after after all the uh, gloom uh, in, in Hollywood, it is nice to be a place where people are, there are a lot of movies and a lot of stars and a lot of... I think the people are are people are excited to see them. So the magic of of cinema still lives somewhere. Yeah, and Richard, the attendance seems to be back in terms of just what you're seeing around town. Or does it feel like a normal, unusual Sundance? Yeah, we've heard that a lot of the films are sold out. So that's a good sign. That, I mean, the festival goers are not industry people by and large per se. They're you know retirees or what have you who come in to see movies. But apparently, they're selling lots of tickets. So it's a good sign. There, the press conference was full this morning. Okay. The trade outlets were represented. So it's uh, you know, it's off to a Sundancey start. There you go. You got f- fresh snow and you got a press conference to kick you off and uh, Jason Blum himself. So Peter, what's on your agenda for the weekend? What do you want to accomplish? What do you do? You just follow Richard around all the time or is there going to be a lot of buffets in your future? What's going on here for your Sundance trip? And I'll, I'll remind you before you do it. I, I have I, the title of my memoir uh, published in 2010 by, by Yoffman Books is Don't Follow Me, I'm Lost. So uh, bear <laughs> well, that in mind. He's already found that out the hard way this morning, it sounds yeah. like. So yeah, yeah. Peter, what's uh, what's ahead? You know, I'm going to sort of focus my attentions on the documentary space. Oh, okay. And I'm kind of curious how those films are going to play. And I'm going to sort of try and gauge the temperature of that marketplace to see where people feel, if they feel like things are going to be improving. I think the general feeling in that community is that um, we're coming out of a kind of a rough patch. And Sundance has traditionally been a place where you've seen really great cutting-edge documentaries. So I, I'm interested to see what people are thinking and saying about the films that are playing here and the current state of things. And then, you know, one interesting stat that came out of the press conference was that I think 80% of the films that are showing have not sold yet. I think that's what I heard. Okay. And so I'll be very curious to see, you know, how how big the market gets. And, you know, that's just that's sort of the classic thing of these events is that you have the cultural side and then you have the sales side. And so, again, like Richard was saying, we're coming out of a rough, a very, very, very sort of dark period in the industry. So maybe this will be an opportunity for us to launch ourselves and do, you know, better days. So, yeah, those two things. And, and then just kind of pop around and, you know, shake some hands and drink some coffee. There you go. And Richard, you know, the question is always, you know, these in this era now, the streamers versus the studio pickups and are the streamers still buying things like that certainly be a, a focus of attention, I would think, uh, Richard, out there this this weekend and, and the week ahead, right? Yeah, that's the big question. I mean, last year, the the streamers made some big pickups still. There was there was still, still yeah. out there, and they, some of which have uh, appeared on their, their services since. Uh, Jason Blum offered at the press conference the hope that since the film release calendar is pretty much empty for the next six months, right. that uh, there will be studios here looking for things that, you know, films that are ready to go that they can drop into that empty calendar. So yeah. uh, we'll see if that happens. Yeah. Elaine, have you uh, been out there at all? No, I have not. I live in TV land, so I have not had a chance to go out to Sundance. <laughs> no glamorous film people life for you? Okay. No, it's it's TCA in a windowless ballroom in Pasadena. Yeah, right. That's that's what's yeah, in store for me in the coming weeks. Yeah. Well, you know, teach their own, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll spread the love around. But Richard, you'll be filing some columns in the days ahead. Is that correct? Yes, we'll be writing from here as events warrant. 
dropping little postcards from Sundance. All right. And check that out, theangler.com, of course. And uh, Peter, I also do want to mention you have a, a new piece dropping for readers for, I guess, a weekend read coming out in the, the series on managers, namely that a lot of agents want to become there are becoming managers. So what's going on there with your next piece here? Yeah, it's part of our week-long series analyzing the representation space with a focus on managers. And I took this as an opportunity to uh, examine why it seems so many agents over the past yeah, four years, I, I, I kind of use 2020 as the benchmark, but it's not an entirely new phenomenon, but it has accelerated dramatically. So I kind of unpack for our readers why it's happening, some of the forces that are at play in this whole thing. You know, obviously packaging and the end of packaging is a big part of this, but there's con you know consolidation in the industry. Um, all sorts of things are sort of reshaping and remolding the uh, representation uh, industry in Hollywood. And yeah, I think it was a pretty, the piece ended up nice. Got some good people to talk, and hopefully our readers like it. Awesome. And, uh, you know, also just that uh, you mentioned it, the, the lack of change in leadership and just the uh, room for advancement in the agency world is, you know, look, you still have the, the tops of these things haven't changed in, in decades, and that's also uh, a contributing factor here, Peter. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's It goes back to how, you know, that story I wrote a while ago about how old Hollywood has become. But the irony is that in many ways, the, age, the top three agencies have never been stronger, right. which is partially the reason why I think you're seeing this splintering off. Uh, former talent agents who just feel like these places have become so huge and they don't look like they did back in the early aughts or the 90s. They're just different. And that's has there's all sorts of explanations for that. So it's not no one's saying that the agencies are losing, you know, it's certainly the top three. They're, like I said, perhaps more powerful than they've ever been. But that is creating various dynamics for a certain level of agent who's maybe looking around going, what's my future at this place? And do I have a better shot on breaking off and, and, and doing something on my own? Yeah. Not a lot of great conversations there to go check out. You can check that out over at theankler.com and in your inbox. Well, maybe in there today, uh, if it's not already, but very soon, certainly for a weekend read over at the Ankler. All right, guys, watch out for the snowbanks. No more shortcuts, Peter. If you, if you hear any more shortcuts, just be like, you know what? I enjoy a nice brisk walk in the, in the cool air, I yeah. think, uh, is the way to go. So. I, I mean, my last note, it's it's treacherous out here. It sounds like we have a lot of snow out there, yeah. I, again, my first time, but hats off to people who have done this for 20 years and can still live to tell about it. There's all sorts of dangers out there. <laughs> That's just the executives. Oh, thank you very much. I'm here all week. <laughs> all right, guys. I uh, hope you brought a bunch of extra socks. And Peter, I expect a photo for the Ankler readers for the Wake Up newsletter on Friday morning. Will, will you uh, oblige me on that? I will. I'll do that. Well, I'll do all that right. later today when we're all bundled up. Yes, we need some odd couple style antics is what I'm figuring. One of Richard's favorite TV shows. So, uh, well, you know, we need to we need to get that in there. So have a good weekend, guys. And I'll be on the lookout for Richard's missives from the mountains in the coming days ahead here at the Ankler. So uh, have a good time. Yeah. And if you see us uh, around around the festival, come over and say hi. Please rescue them from any snow. Yeah, rescue them if you in. see them <laughs> rescue anywhere. So please. But, but excited to see to meet any uh, Ankler reader anytime. So, yes. Or Exactly, or podcast listener, exactly. So uh, give the guys a shot if you're out there. Okay, that's a wrap for this week. I'll, of course, have the full box office breakdown in the wake up on Monday morning. And again, Monday brings the debut of Elaine's new column from inside the executive suites of the TV industry called uh, Series Business. Elaine, just a heads up, I'm going to incorrectly call it Serious Business at some point in this podcast in the future for quite a while. So just give me a pass on that, would you, Elaine? <laughs> that's the point. That's the that's what was that the point? Yeah, no. <laughs> and, and the theme of your favorite movie, Mission Accomplished. So very good. <laughs> and Elaine, can you can you feel the excitement starting to build? Over. Not it's not sports related this time. So oh I'll give you that much. God, 
these pop quizzes, John. You, you, know there's one, you, you know there's one coming in every podcast, Elaine, at some point. So the at this Oscars. Point. That, well, no. there is. Well, Oscar voting did end. Uh, we'll have the nomination. It's not a sports thing. So it's not it's, a sports thing. A movie. No. <laughs> I'm just going to start throwing no, out really broad I, things right yeah, exactly. now. Exactly. <laughs> you're, you're just naming things now, Elaine. That's, that's, <laughs> <laughs> you're just naming objects. <laughs> Books. No. Uh, it's Q4 earnings season next week, Elaine. <gasps> oh, my goodness. It crept up on me. It really, that's a very good surprise voice. That was very, and, and slash excitement. That was nice. Uh, we have two big ones to kick it off. We have Netflix and Comcast next week. Uh, so you'll get my full media nerd breakdowns of those two calls in the wake up. Uh, the calls are Tuesday, Thursday. So uh, those will be the first glimpse into the end of last year, the end of the strike era and see what happened there through the uh, end of December. That's of course, October, November, December. No, it really did creep up on me. I'm usually on top of the start of earnings as a, as a former earnings reporter, I'm ashamed of myself. Uh, well, you know, you <laughs> need your, need to take your card back, I think. But uh, well, honestly, this, I mean, this whole month I means, you know, the fact that Sundance was here, I was like, Oh, that's next week. It's just things keep creeping up on us. I think this year. So anyway, that'd be a full three to four weeks there coming up for all those breaks. Breakdowns, which you can get as part of your Ankler subscription at theankler.com. And you'll get the full suite of newsletters and podcasts from the whole Ankler team. And again, email us as you like at podcasts, that's plural, podcasts at theankler.com with any questions for the Ankler team here. For a future episode, mailbag section, we haven't quite thought of a name yet. If you have an idea for a name, please send us an email at podcast at theankler.com. All questions uh, can be, of course, anonymous when we do that here on the podcast. And your comments are, of course, welcome, especially if I mispronounce your name or just say hello. So drop us a note. And Elena, that is plural, though, podcasts. Are you starting a tennis business podcast we don't know about here at the Ankler? There, there are more <laughs> yes. podcasts to come. <laughs> oh, my God. I would love it. Don't even tease me. <laughs> I should not bring that. All right. Well, if you want Elena to start a tennis podcast, Email us. If you podcast. would like to crowdfund my tennis podcast, <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. here's Weird. my Venmo. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, anyway, send all feedback there. And of course, you can follow us and talk to us on the socials at The Ankler on all major social platforms. All right, that's a wrap for this week. A big thanks to you for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>